Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you for this time to gather around your word. Father, we just pray that you would anoint my lips. Let every word that is spoken penetrate the heart. Let us draw closer to you through everything that you speak through me. Bring us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Father, as we study what you have said to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, even yesterday morning, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to speak on. I had been and have been prepping a series on Daniel, but we felt to push that back a little bit for timing's sake. So we just decided that Friday. So I woke up yesterday morning going, uh, hello. <laughs> Any day now, you can give me something to say. <laughs> So, but as I was talking with Pastor Michael, I had a couple things I was going back and forth on, and we settled in on this. So, ladies, how many of you were there Tuesday morning? You already heard it. So, just open your ears. You're going to hear it again. <laughs> it never hurts to say it twice. In fact, Peter said, uh, it's, it's good that we remind ourselves of these things. So, even if this is something that you've heard before, I just ask you to keep an open mind. You know, we're going to just continue to hear, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing, and hearing, and hearing, and hearing the Word of God. So we're going to open up to Numbers chapter 20, and the title of the message today is Make a Whip, okay? Make a Whip. And so this is something that God put in my heart even a couple years ago. And it's been stirring and cooking, and I'm just so excited to share it this morning. In Numbers chapter 20, the children of Israel were in the wilderness. They had left Egypt and not quite gotten to the promised land yet. And we're going to start in verse 2. It says, there was no water for the people to drink at that place. So they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers, why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with all of our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This always kind of strikes me as odd because why did you, why did you take us away from slavery where, slavery where we were being beaten and worked to death and didn't have our own lives? Why, oh, why would you free us from that horrible place? And yet when you come into a place of desperation, anything else looks good. Even the nasty old place that you left. So here we are in a place of desperation. There's no food to drink. Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here into this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell Face down on the ground, then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So he told Moses what he had been telling him all along, take the staff that's in your hand Go speak to that rock. Every time God used Moses, he said, go take this staff and do this. Go take the staff and hit the Nile. It's going to turn to blood. Go take the staff and hold it up at the Red Sea. It's going to part. So Moses is familiar with this. 
go take the staff. And previously, he said, go take the staff and hit the rock, strike the rock, and water will come out. So Moses is familiar with this conversation with the Lord. He'd heard this before. So God told him, go take the staff and speak to the rock. And so in verse 9, it says, Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff. Is that what God said to do? No. And water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. So God in his mercy, even though Moses disobeyed, he still provided water for his people. But he didn't do it in the way that he had wanted to. Verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land that I'm giving them. What God told Moses to do was take the staff and speak to the rock. Because God wanted to reveal the power of our words. But Moses and Aaron did not do that. They disobeyed because they didn't trust him enough to speak. Moses relied on what he had done and what worked for him in the past. Instead of trusting God to speak to the rock and watching the water come out. Instead of trusting God and revealing to all the people of Israel for all time the power that were in their words. And because of that, he didn't get to enter and he did not get to lead the people into the promised land. God needed someone who was going to obey what he said without question. Because 99.9% of the times, the things that God tells us to do regarding our miracle aren't going to make sense to our mind. Right? So let's just throw away the need to understand right now. Which is really hard. Especially if you're analytical like me. How many of you are analytical? <laughs> so it's really hard to throw away that, can, that mindset of having to understand what God is doing before he does it. But we will never understand what God's going to do before he does it. In fact, every time in my life where I've tried to understand what God is doing, I'm like, okay, this is what I need, and this is what I'm speaking. This is your word. This is the scripture you've given me. And I start speaking it, and then I start seeing God move. And then I take it back and make a plan and try to figure out the end myself. And so then he always just cuts that one off and <laughs> says, let's try this again. He said, you let me author a whole lot of things. You let me author faith in you, but you just never let me finish. You little old control freak, would you quit it? <laughs> so this is what's going on here in Numbers chapter 20. God wanted to reveal the power of their words. God's always meant for our words to carry power. Proverbs 18 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. That doesn't mean you just go like this. <laughs> not the natural tongue, but what comes out of the mouth? Words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and you're going to eat the fruit of it. Mark eleven twenty three 23 and 24 says, Have faith like God. 
If you say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and do not doubt in your heart, but believe those things that he says will come to pass, then you will have whatever you think. No. <laughs> gotcha. You will have whatever you say. Everyone say, make a whip. Go to John chapter 2. <clears throat> John chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 13. It says, It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Did those things belong in the temple? No, those things did not belong in the temple. Verse 15, so Jesus took off his love pin. <laughs> did Jesus take off his love pin? I always say sometimes when, when people are like messing with my kids, right? I'm going to take off my Jesus pin. Because <laughs> Mama Bear doesn't want to act like a Christian today. No, so Jesus didn't take off his love pin. Everything Jesus is about to do here is love, okay? Love is not an ooey-gooey feeling. Verse 15, Jesus made a whip, a whip, a weapon, something that would hurt. <laughs> and he didn't just go buy one, he made it. Jesus made a whip from some ropes, cords, those were leather strips, and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here and stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And if you read this in, in Matthew, it says, because my father's house is a house of prayer. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. And then he goes on and says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And they didn't understand until he died and rose from the grave. But I want to go back to verse 15, because what does Jesus driving <laughs> animals out of the temple and Numbers 20 have to do with each other. And this is what they have to do with each other. I have a mountain in my life that I've been facing for quite a few years. And sometimes I feel like I have the victory, and sometimes I feel like this mountain is just completely on top of me. And so in November of 2013, everyone say 2013. 2013. Standing right over here in worship, I heard the voice of God in my heart say, I've released you from that. You are released you can celebrate. I was like, thank God. <laughs> but guess what? So then in January 2014, he showed me this. This is what he brought to me for January 2014. This was my word. He goes, you make a whip and you drive that out of your temple. Jesus made a whip and he drove out of the temple what didn't belong in the temple. What is the temple now? Aha. Uh -huh. So he said, you make a whip with my word and you drive out of your life 
what doesn't belong in your life. So we're going to fast forward to last Sunday, which is in 2016. Everyone say 2016. 2016. Guess what I'm still looking at? (laughs) The same stinking mountain. And so last Saturday night, I woke up super early or very late, depending. It was middle of the night. And my mind was going around my mountain. And worry was weighing on me. And oh my goodness, what are you going to do? And this is still here. And all this whole weight of this mountain was crushing me. Ever been there? So I get up on Sunday mornings. Why don't anymore? But I would get up and bring Pastor Michael to church at 6. And then go home and get ready and come back. So my kids would have a car to bring themselves. And I dropped him off and I pulled, started pulling out from under this carport over here. And the Holy Spirit said, the reason that you're still looking at that mountain is because you put your whip down. And I did. I would use it for a little bit and then I would put it down and it would gather some dust. And then if worry would come back, I would use it for a little bit. Then I'd put it down and it would gather some dust. He said, the reason you're still facing that mountain is because you put your whip down. You would just pick your whip back up and use it like it was supposed to be used. The mountain would crumble into the sea. And so this is what we want to look at today. What does this whip look like? God is always intended for us to use our words for his kingdom, to use our words to release his authority. It's like we said before in worship. We came by the cross. He identified with us on the cross, took our place, bore our sin, took our punishment. He identified with us. But when he rose again, that's where we identify with him in all of his authority and the ability to use his power and to release life into the earth, this earth. That's where he made us able to be him on this earth, to be his voice, to be his hands, to be his feet. Jesus isn't here in the flesh anymore. We're here on his behalf. Right? So our whip, it takes faith to use it. It takes great faith to use it. And our faith is founded in the word. So your whip is only and always going to be the word of God. Whether it's what he spoke to you or what you see in the word. And let me tell you that if you're not in the word then you can't trust what is spoken to you because you won't recognize his voice. You need to know his voice first. And that's where you find his voice is in the word. His word is him speaking to us. So our whip is always going to be founded in faith and not experience. Let me say that again. Our whip is founded in faith It's not founded in experience because it's founded in experience. You're going to look at your past and it's going to affect what you say or what you don't say. Well, it didn't work last time. So why even bother? Right? So-and-so didn't get healed. So maybe that means not everybody gets healed. So maybe I won't get healed. So maybe I shouldn't. Anybody? 
relate. Can anybody relate? It's always expounded or founded in the word and never experience. In John 10.10, it says that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. But what does it say before that? The devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we've said this before, that word steal means to just literally try to take it from you. But that word kill does not mean murder, it means surrender. So what he's trying to do, if he can't just outright take something from you, he's going to get you to try to lay it down. I laid it down, I laid my whip down, I surrendered what God had already promised me just because I laid my whip down. And he will stir things up around you to try to get you to doubt, to try to get you to stop speaking, to try to get you to stop believing and trusting him. He will stir it up. Somebody that you know that's been believing God will die. And he'll come and say, well, that's not for you either then. You should just lay that down. Don't bother. That's his job. Every thought that pops into your head is not from you and it's not from God. There's an enemy of our souls that can plant thoughts or cause things to come up all around you to bring doubt. And that's where faith comes in. That's where the ability to trust God comes in. And guess what? That's always going to be rooted in relationship. If you're not spending time in his word, you're not spending time in his presence, you don't know the one that spoke the word, you're going to surrender it right away. But if you know him, if you know his goodness and his faithfulness, then you're going to doubt everything you see and trust him instead. It's okay to look at things attacking your life when sickness or debt or depression or oppression or whispering lies in your ear, it's okay to look them straight in the face and go, I doubt that. If debt's telling you you'll never be free, you can look at it and say, I doubt that because my God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory. When sickness is attaching itself to you, saying you'll never be free from me, I have a friend who got diagnosed with a thyroid disease, and her doctor said, you will always be on medicine. I said, I doubt that. (laughs) Because my God sent Jesus, who bore stripes on his back for my healing, and by those stripes I am healed. Jesus spent his whole ministry contradicting doubt, contradicting everything that you could see. When he went to heal that little girl and they said, she's dead, he goes, she's not dead, she's just asleep. Contradicting everything that they could see. And he raised her from the dead. It's okay to contradict what you see with the truth. But if you're not contradicting what you see with the truth, if you're not using your whip, if you're not using your words, the enemy's getting you to surrender that. I had a Bible study in my house one time. There were like five or six women that would come over every week. We went through a a book study. And then when that was over, I wanted to start it as a Bible study on prayer 
so that we can be joined together praying for some things. Some things in my heart that I wanted to contend for, the move of God, miracles, different things in my own life. And I thought, oh, corporate prayer. When two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of us. When we agree together, you know, one, a thousand, two, ten thousand. So I brought this idea out to them, and there was a girl in there into the hyper grace. And she said, contend? We don't have to do that anymore. Jesus finished the work. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to speak. We don't have to pray. Jesus already did it. And can I just say <laughs> that Jesus' finished work was where our work begins? Not works. We're not doing this under law. But his, the grace that he gave us on the cross enables us to do what his word says to do. So we're not working for something. We're working enabled by what he did. Jesus won the victory. Without the cross, without the grace, we would have no authority. We would have no right to victory. It's because of the cross that we can stand and use our authority. But I like to, to look at it like, like in, in Iraq, when they went in and cleared out Baghdad and cleared out all the leaders, and we sent our troops in to occupy, did they still have to fight against the militant groups that were in there? Did they still have to use some force and some might? They did. Jesus won the victory so we could occupy. Does that make sense? Are you with me? <laughs> it's grace enabled. Jesus won it. He overcame. But then the Bible in Revelation goes on to say that we have to overcome. And how do we overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's not our neighbor's testimony. <laughs> it's not our neighbor just praying for us. Sometimes we want just the pastors to do the work. <laughs> And the Bible says we can pray for the sick and they will recover. But the Bible says you can speak to your own mountain and watch it go. He's provided so many ways for us to receive from him. You know, the call for the elders of the church and they'll anoint with oil. But that's not the only way. And if you don't get anointed with oil, it doesn't mean too bad for you. Because we can lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. Doesn't mention oil there at all. It says we can speak to our mountain and watch it move. I don't know about you, but I don't want to leave my mountain in somebody else's hands. What if they're not praying every day? <laughs> we can use our own faith against our own mountain. And it's a choice. It's not a feeling. Sometimes if we are moved just by how we feel, we come to church and we just swing our whip. Because the, the worship's going and the presence of God is here and there's that corporate anointing and presence and strength of God. The spirit of faith rises up and it's so easy to speak to our mountain. But Monday morning, after being in bed all Sunday night with that mountain weighing on you, it's so easy to get up and be discouraged and just say what you see. It's a choice. 
It's not a feeling. And faith is an action, not a thought. So to swing your whip at your mountain, you have to make a choice to do something. And 99.9% of the time, that something is going to be speak or sing or pray or whatever that looks like. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. Just like worship is a choice. It's not a feeling. We don't come in here and sing because we feel like it. We don't raise our hands because we feel like everything is wonderful. In fact, if you see me dancing around the front, it's usually because I'm looking at my mountain and it has to go and it's an act of faith that I'm not standing for it, that I believe God. Sometimes you have to shake yourself up and get you out of that discouragement to get you out of that depression to get you set back on what God has said. That no matter what you see, no matter how it feels, I believe God. And I heard a minister say this as I was listening to a podcast last week about faith and about worship. He said, your celebration is a demonstration of your expectation. Your celebration, your praise, your worship, your speaking, your praying is a demonstration of what you expect God to do. And sometimes, I don't just dance here. I get up in the middle of the night if worry's weighing me down and sneak downstairs (laughs) and just celebrate. Do I feel like it? No, I feel like crying. But faith laughs at what makes other people cry because faith knows that God can do the impossible. In fact, if you're not laughing at your mountain, you haven't seen it the way that God sees it yet. Because God looks at things that are huge to us and goes, that is like nothing. What do they think they're doing? Don't be afraid of that. Don't you know what I can do? It's a choice. It's not a feeling. a choice. It's a choice to contradict what you can see. And when you cast your whip in faith, it's a choice. It's not a feeling. I want you to really get a hold of that. Because Tuesday morning, when the (laughs) aura of his, aroma of his presence from today wears off and you get up discouraged it's okay to do what David did and encourage yourself in the Lord. And to trust that he hears you. You know, anytime you read in the Psalms or in the Old Testament, especially in the, in the Gospels, when it says that God hears, it means he hears and answers. When he hears, he answers. And I was, my son went through this thing this week where they had midterms, so their schedules were a little off. They didn't have every class every day on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They had like first, third, and fifth period one day, second, fourth, and sixth the next, and then seventh period. So he had his French final on Thursday. The end of the nine weeks was until Friday. So he, had, he wasn't even thinking I should take my notebook, which is due at the end of the nine weeks, and at my midterm. So 
He gets to class and doesn't have his notebook. It's at home and his workbook. So after class, he asked Madame, they call her Madame because it's French class, um, can I bring it in tomorrow? She goes, yeah, but I'm going to have to dock you. Well, he's like, Mr. S- I can't remember the last time he had to be on his report card. Not because we pressure him, but he wants valedictorian. He wants those honor cords. He wants to get it. He's driven. If you know my son, he's driven. I don't know where he gets that from. <laughs> so we're going to, I'm in his room talking to him that night, Thursday night, praying for him. And I said, honey, let's just cast this in God's hand. God says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. She's the king of that classroom. She's a leader. Let's just pray for mercy. This isn't a pattern for you. She's had you for two years now. She knows you. Just pray for mercy and grace. Let's pray that God will move on her heart. Just trust that he's going to intervene in this situation. Don't lose any sleep over it. Don't let it steal your peace. Go to sleep. And guess what? He did. And then about 3.30 in the morning, I woke up. (laughs) Thinking about this, I'm like, oh my goodness, it could ruin his chances for valedictorian, and he really wants this, and I don't want my baby to be disappointed, and blah, blah, blah. So I couldn't get back to sleep. So about 4.20, I get out of bed and decide to go downstairs and plead my case before God. (laughs) So I'm praying the same things we had prayed the night before. Oh, the heart of the king is in the hand of God. Father, I'm just pleading Alex's case. This isn't a pattern, and he doesn't always do this. And and you just need to just move on her heart, Father. Move! And then I started praying more vehemently. (laughs) Jesus! Quietly, so I didn't wake anyone up. It really was only 4.30 in the morning. But with all my gusto, I was praying. And about 20 minutes after, as I'm pacing the floor and pacing the floor and praying, the Holy Spirit said, you should probably take your own advice. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you think I heard you last night when you prayed these same things with Alex? I'm like, yeah, but you've got to swing your whip and you've got to contend for the word, baby. Contend for the word. That's what I'm doing, Lord. I am contending this before you. He goes, I don't need your help here. (laughs) I need your faith. And what I didn't have at that moment was faith. I wasn't swinging my whip. That would have been casting down strongholds. We speak to the mountain. We sure do. We pray and we ask God to intervene. Absolutely. But sometimes swinging your whip is casting down the strongholds that are in your own mind. And when doubt comes in, saying no, because when I prayed last night, I believe that he heard me and that he answered and that angels were dispatched and that he's working while I'm sleeping, so I don't need to get up and contend. There are some things that we are contending for, miracles, the move of God, signs, wonders. But when you pray that prayer of faith, believing that he heard you, then sometimes swinging your whip is just telling your mind to shut up. It's not re-praying and re-pacing the floor because I didn't trust that he was going to do what I asked him to do the first time. What I should have been doing was changing this. 
No, Father, when I asked, you answered. I thank you that you are moving. I thank you that you are working. I thank you that you are moving on to Alex's behalf right now. And I'm going to go back to sleep because you don't need me to get up and worry about this. <laughs> I wasn't helping him. <laughs> I wasn't in faith. I was, wor- I was a worried mama. That's using your whip. And there were times in the last couple years where I looked at my mountain and it won because I got into doubt and I got into fear and I wasn't fixing what was up here. Amen. Amen. Some of us have never made a whip. We have not even known that we have authority and that our words carry power. So I want to encourage you to make one, to search the scriptures on what you're believing for and what you need in your life so that you can, with your authority and the power that God's given you for your words, drive that out of your temple. But some of us have laid laid it down. We've let the enemy take it. We've surrendered it over. So I guess if if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. I must have missed it. God's not moving for me. And we laid it down. So I want to encourage you to pick that baby back up, dust it off, and start swimming in again. Because God is faithful. And he wants to move in your behalf. Amen? I, there's a, I'm ready to close. There's an old saying that says, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? Which is better. It's better to not say anything at all than just be stuck on, on what you see and what the enemy's doing. But if you're not saying anything, you're not getting, because the Bible says you can have what you say. So let's take another step. Instead of not saying anything at all, I'm not going not to speak doubt, which is good. We don't want to speak doubt. But we do want to speak faith. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you for the time we've had around your word, and I just pray that you take the incomplete way that I have been able to bring this across and break it like bread to each of them, feed their spirits, feed their minds, let it come alive on the inside of us so that we can accomplish what you've called us to accomplish, but so we can have what you've said we can have, so we can lay down what you said doesn't belong in our lives, like sickness and depression and oppression and poverty and lack. You paid for all that on the cross, and you don't mean for us to carry it. So teach us, Father. Teach us how to use our whip to drive out of the temple what doesn't belong. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. God is good. I just want to take a second and see if there's anyone here who has never come to the cross. We said we've come to the cross, we come through the cross, and then he takes us to the throne room. But some of, somebody here may have never even been able to come to the cross yet. And if that's you, you need that. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they messed it up for everybody. All of mankind was separated from God. And you'll hear people say, no, no, we're all the children of God. No, we're not. We're all his creation. 
But you make a choice to become his child by believing that he sent Jesus to die on the cross and by believing that he rose him from the dead. Jesus wasn't lying when he said, I am the only way to the Father. Hallelujah. So if that's you and you've never come to the cross, would you raise your hand? We would love to pray for you today, to pray with you. Anybody here? Anybody? No? Awesome. Thanks for letting me take the time to do that. Well, you know how we end here? With a blessing. So why don't you go ahead and stand? I'm going to have Pastor Michael speak the blessing. I think it's appropriate that you speak the blessing since you... Father, in the name of Jesus, we release your life and your revelation over the people today. We pray that this week will be a week where they come into closer relationship with you than ever before. It's a week where they walk in greater revelation of your power, of your glory, of your provision, of your healing, of your goodness. Let it rest on them like a blanket. I thank you that you never leave them or forsake them. And I pray that this is a week where they're more aware of your constant abiding presence than ever before. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday. Don't forget that tomorrow begins the week of fasting and prayer. And uh, hope that you will join us on Wednesday night.